Psalm 27 is uh, where we're at today. It's one of my favorite psalms. I know uh, many of you may have memorized portions of this psalm. I know my kids all uh, memorize it in school. It's one of the psalms they memorize in school. And it's it's stellar. So would you stand please? And I'm going to read it and then we will pray and then we'll get going together, okay? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For He will hide me in His shelter. In the day of trouble, He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in His tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, and be gracious to me, and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my mother and my father have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord. And lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me. They breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Father, I pray that you would put it in our hearts, God, to not be content with all the little things that we try to fill up our soul with. But God, I pray that we might be captivated by the one great beauty in this universe. God, I pray that you would teach us to gaze upon you, to be satisfied and delighted and refreshed in soul. God, I pray that you would teach us how to battle our own anxieties and fears. Father, I pray that you would lead us and teach us this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What are you afraid of? What do you fear? I asked a bunch of people that question this week. I got a really a variety of answers. Um, some people, though, it caught them off guard. Like, what do I fear? Well, nothing, you know. I mean, I, I think that's... Uh, at the heart of some people, and I think there probably are some people that are that way, but before you say nothing, I think you have to ask the question a different way, okay? So if, if what, I, what do I fear didn't get any traction in your heart, then ask it this way, what am I anxious about, okay? Because whatever you're anxious about, the root of that is what, you're, what you fear. Uh, if, that, if that didn't hit home, maybe phrase it a little differently. What are you worried about? Um, what are you stressed out about, Okay. So whatever you're stressed out about, whatever you're worried about, whatever you're anxious about, 
The root of all of those is what you fear, right? So that could be all kinds of things. It could be everything from accidents to tragedy to tornadoes to financial ruin to cancer to heart attack to disease, loss of a loved one, a child, a spouse, a parent, terrorists, war, personal enemies, ex-husbands, ex-wives, bully, bullying in-laws, enemies at work, hostile co-workers, overbearing bosses, being humiliated, falling into failure. There's all kinds of things that might cause anxiety or stress or worry or fear in your life. Now, for David, it's really clear. As you read through this psalm, you don't have to guess, all right? So how many times does he mention enemies? Does he mention adversaries? Does he mention foes? Does he mention false witnesses? Um, Over and over and over. I think he used the word adversaries three or four times. Enemies three or four times. So for David, it was really clear what was stressing him out, what what he feared, what, what, what he was anxious over, was the very fact that he had people to murder him. Okay, that, he had people all around him who really wanted to kill him. Okay, that that was that was David's deal. You know, when we talk about our enemies, a lot of times we're talking about the guy at work that wants to sell more than we do. You know, or or the the couple across the street that always gets their lawn better than ours and hangs more Christmas lights and you know that kind of silly stuff. No, David's really talking about there's somebody that wants to slit my throat. There's somebody that wants to kill me. There's somebody that wants to murder me. Okay, that that's that's literally who he's talking about. Okay, and so David is teaching. In this, in this psalm, I think, I think it's brilliant. He's teaching us how do we face our fears? How do we handle our fears? How do you handle your anxieties? How do you handle your worries? How do you handle your stresses in life? And, and I think we can could, we could really say David is an expert at this, okay? So not only is he speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but David is a guy who really faced some pretty serious things in his life. So in verse 3, when it says, and though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Right? If I say that, I'm being overdramatic, right? I'm, I'm exaggerating. I'm using, I'm using a literary tool to capture your attention. All right, guys, we're in a battle, you know? I'm saying things like that. No, like David really is waking up in the morning and opening up his curtain, you know, and they're camped against him are people that want to kill him. They're outside the city. Is Saul's army. They're in the rock crop. Are, 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 the, are the soldiers of Saul all trained with one purpose, slay this guy, kill David, all right? So, so David actually is living out this, this day-by-day stress and anxiety of having people that want to kill him, okay? Now, a couple of things pop out right away as we begin to look at this psalm. Number one, David doesn't just ask that God would take away the things that are causing him fear. Now, let me tell you, there's nothing wrong with that, okay? So if you're here this morning and you've got a tragedy in your life, you've got a calamity in your life, you've got a stress in your life, there, there's nothing wrong with you saying, God, would you take that away? Okay, so don't, don't, don't hear me saying that. Please do. I, in fact, if I have one, I mean, when I get sick, let me tell you, I don't say, hey, God, give me more so that I can, you know, grow as a Christian. I don't say that. I say, God, if you'd take away this stomach virus, I would be much appreciated, okay? So, so it's okay to say that. It's okay to pray that. But it's interesting to me that, that David does not pray that here. He prays it in other places. He doesn't hear. I, I, I think the reason why is that David realizes that this particular thing in his life, God's going to leave. Okay, so so there are things in our life that God's simply not going to take away. There are situations that God's not going to take away. 
We have to realize that. There are times when God won't take away the cancer. God won't take away the heart disease. God won't take away the loss of a loved one. God won't take away the tragedy. God won't take away the financial loss. God won't take away the loss of a job. No matter how much we pray, it's, it's God's will that that be in our life. And so that's a reality. And so if the only tool in your toolbox for dealing with your anxiety is, God, take this away so I won't be anxious, man, there's going to be times in your life you're going to be overwhelmed with anxiety. All right, and so, so, so that's a great tool, but, but it's not the only tool, okay? So, so we notice David doesn't just pray that God would take it away. In fact, what we see right away, big observation here, is that David is really not focused on the trial at all. David is focused throughout this psalm continually on the character of the Lord. Okay, so that's from the beginning to the end. Verse 1, how's it start out? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? What's David saying? He's saying, all right, I'm recalling, I'm remembering that God is this. He's light, he's salvation, he's a stronghold. Because God is those things, I'm not going to fear. And, and, and so instead of simply looking at his trial, David is actually, throughout this psalm, going to be lifting our eyes heavenward and saying, the answer to my fears is the bigness of God. Now, 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 again, that's very different from a lot of the ways people handle anxiety, fear, stress, struggle. A lot of times people have two tools. They have the tool of, God, please take it away. Get rid of this worry, this, this threat, this sickness, this whatever. Or the second tool is, all right, I got I to gotta work through logically in my mind why this is not that scary. So you know where I see people do this all the time? On an airplane right? People get on an airplane, and you know what they do? They're like this. Okay, these things take off from every city in the United States and all over the world every day. There's, there's thousands of them in the air right now. They're mechanically sound. The pilot's gone and checked everything. It's got two engines. Even if one fails, the other one will be okay, and there's landing strips all over, and these guys are trained, and I watched that movie where that guy landed the plane on the Hudson, and not one person died, and so it's surely going to be okay, right? And, and so what are they doing? They're saying, I'm really scared about this, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give myself all these facts and figures, and, and, and so so that my anxiety will go down, so that my fear of this will go down. So I'm telling myself, this thing is not that scary. All right, now again, I'm totally supportive of you doing that. I think that the Bible would be, that's fine. But here's the reality. There's times where that doesn't work, okay? Because there's times where you begin to look at the, the, the statistics, all right? Have you ever been in this situation? You're like, all right, if I look at the statistics, the statistics say, I'm probably gonna die. You know, I'm probably not gonna make it. This, this, this bad thing is probably gonna happen. I mean, I mean that, that's the reality. And so what are you going to do then? What are you going to do when you hit the situation where the odds are this is really scary? You'll be susceptible to fear, controlling and tormenting you. So, so David fights fear in, in a much different way, okay? So, so, so he fights fear by, by remembering the character of God. But even, I'm, I'm going to jump right to what I think is the jewel of this passage. All right, Verse 4 is the prize of Psalm 27, in my mind. If, if verse 4 wasn't here, I probably wouldn't be preaching this sermon. Because it, it's the thing that captivates my attention. All right? So David, David says, all right, here's how I'm handling my fear. Here's how I'm handling my anxiety. Here's how I'm handling my stress of my life. I'm not only going to remember the character of the Lord, but I am going to relentlessly devote myself to seeing and knowing more of God. All right? That is David's relentless passion. Okay? He says in verse 4, One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. So David's one great pursuit in the midst of this stressful situation is to see the beauty of the Lord. Now, that's surprising to me that that's, that's, that's what he says, right? 
Like, like, can you imagine him, you know, waking up in the morning, open up the tent? Hey, guys, we're surrounded by an army. You know, David's advisors are all coming in. What should we do? What should we do? What should we do? You know, and David's like, all right, guys. All right. The one thing we're really going to do is we're all going to go. Let's, let's, let's gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That's a strange statement, isn't it? Like, I, I don't think we normally think that way. I don't think we normally process that that's what I need to do in a fearful, stressful, dangerous situation. I, I, I don't think that's what we think. But that's exactly what David is saying here. David is saying, the thing that's going to keep me from unraveling on the inside is me relentlessly pursuing seeing more of God. Okay? Now, now, now the phrase that I, I love in verse 4, I love the way that this is translated, one thing have I asked the Lord. One thing. One thing. One thing thing i was talking to pastor andrew yesterday pastor andrew is a wealth of um books right so whenever i want to know what should i read next i always ask pastor andrew because he's he's constantly listening to him in his car and while he's running and jogging and all that stuff so so I, in fact sometimes i don't even read a book i just let him tell me about the book you know and uh we, we, we were riding bikes the other day, and Andrew was like, this is like having a, a Kindle playing while you're riding, you know? Because Andrew's in the middle, and we just keep asking him questions about the book Lone Survivor. He tells us the whole story on one bike ride. Like, like he, you know, he just goes from one time to another, you know? And we're all huffing and puffing, and he's in such good shape. He's just, like, telling us about this book, you know? So anyway, so we're, we're driving back yesterday. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was yesterday. And we're driving back from the bike trail, and he's, he's telling me about this book he's reading. And he said one of the interesting things about it, it was a military book. And he said, one of the interesting things about it is this, 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 this special ops guy is really, he's really grappling with, is it God, family, country, right? We always have those priorities. Or is it God, country, family? Like, like he's, he's, he's trying to figure out, you know, him, him and his wife have kind of this, this quarrel over, you know, which should come first, your duty to your country, your duty to the troops, your duty to the, the war effort, or your duty to the family. So is it God, family, country? Is it God, country, family? Now, I hardly ever hear people talk about that in Northwest Oklahoma. What I hear people talk about in Northwest Oklahoma is, is it God, family, or work? Or God, work, or family? And almost everybody always says God, family, work, but their wives are always saying, that's not what you live. You live, you know, okay. But here, here's what I would tell you. That's a bad way of looking at it, okay? The whole thing is broke, okay? Now, let me tell you why. First of all, I've never met anybody that actually lives that out. So, so when you think about that, God, family, work. If, if that's actually true in your life, then there should be times where you call in on Monday morning and you say, hey, I can't come in this morning. Uh, I got some things I got to straighten out. I read my Bible this morning that I'm commanded to be a disciple maker and I'm not doing it. And so I can't come to work today because I, I, I really need to get some things straight in my head and, I, and I, I need to arrange some time in my life that I begin to make disciples. Have you ever had anybody do that? Anybody? No. You know why? Because even though we say God, family, and work, when it comes down to it, you're going to be there at 7 o'clock Monday morning, right? Whether you're right with your, 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 the Lord or not. I mean, man, that's just the way people prioritize their life. In actual living out the commands, nobody actually does that. Now, I, I've not seen anybody do that. I've never, I've never seen anybody call into work and say, hey, I'm not going to be there today. My wife and I got in a fight, and the Bible says to forgive immediately and reconcile. I'm not ready to, so I'm not coming in until I get that right. You know, I, I just don't know people that do that. And so here's, here's what I would tell you. Number one, I think if that is your, the way you think about it, like I'm putting God first, I, I think probably you need to do a lot of work at actually getting that right. But I'm telling you, I think that whole system is broke to begin with because what I see the Bible telling you is there ought to only be one thing, okay? Like everybody's going to have one thing. 
That, that's what David's saying. He said in verse 4, One thing have I asked of the Lord. One thing I'm seeking after. One thing I'm pursuing. One thing. He's not saying three, and i got to put them in order, about which is the most important. No, that never really works anyway. It's going to be one thing or another. You're either going to live for yourself or you're going to live for God. You're either going to live for your own, your own reputation or you're going to live for God. You're either going to live for your own success or you're going to live for God. But there's really only one thing. There's only one thing that can be at the top of your chain, and that reorders everything else. And so what David is saying is there's one thing that truly matters. There's one thing that truly brings relief and safety and security and satisfaction in the midst of turbulent, trial-saturated, trouble-filled life. There's only one thing that gets it done. If you're a business guy, all right, there's only one thing that has a huge payoff in life. You know, if you think of things in terms of what am I getting as a reward for my investment, there's really only one thing. There's only one thing that actually pays off for, 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 for giving your life to. There's only one thing. David's saying one thing means there's one thing I'm going to pursue, one thing that's going to get done, one thing. And by the way, this is not just a psalm thing. This is a Bible thing. Matthew 6, you remember what Jesus said when he said, man, you're worried about all this stuff? He, he's addressing anxiety. He's addressing fear. He's saying you're worried about all this stuff. You're worried about the money you're going to make and your family and relationships. You're worried about all this. He says, listen, one thing. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added unto you. Like, he didn't even put the other things in order. He just says, put God first, pursue him first, get that done, and all, yeah, all that other stuff, yeah, it'll come in line. He didn't even order it. You know, he didn't even say, and then you're fin-. no, no, he just says, yeah, all those other things will come together. But there's one thing. You remember the story in Luke? This is a great story to tell after Thanksgiving. Because this probably happened to somebody here today, all right? So uh, Luke 10, 38, all right? So Mary and Martha, uh, Lazarus, great friends of Jesus, and uh, they're, they, they live in Bethany. Jesus stops by from time to time. He stops by at their house. Verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him to her house, okay? What does that mean? Not just Jesus, but who she get? 12 other guys, too. Probably 20 or 30 guys, actually, because there was a, a large following that followed Jesus. So picture 25 people at your house for lunch. You didn't know they were coming, okay? That's the situation all right verse 39 and he she had a sister called mary who sat at the lord's feet and listened to his teaching verse 40 but martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said lord do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone tell her then to help me all right so do, do you see the picture right so so martha is trying to to sweep the the living room floor she's trying to get the bathroom clean she's got trying to get the turkey on she's trying to get the stuffing made she's trying to get the dressing done somebody needs to go to the 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 store and get milk you know someone needs to get more paper towels someone needs more toilet paper you know we got to get the house ready then she's looking around and she sees her sister who is just sitting on her keister at jesus feet and soaking up every word and she is infuriated you know like she's killing herself trying to get this meal together and mary's doing nothing and so she scolds jesus it's always a bad idea okay it's always bad some some of you guys keep trying it it's never a good idea she scolds him how come you won't tell her to help me verse 41 the lord answered her martha martha you are anxious there it is again see how this is all come back to fear worry stress you know what, what, what what's martha's big deal why can't she just get let it go well, why can't you let it go when you have people in your small group, huh? How come you got to kill everybody, you know, getting ready? You know you know how that goes, right? You're yelling at the kids, get off your stuff, get, out, get, out, get the stuff, I don't ever want to see it again. Ding dong, hey, welcome to our house for small groups. 
your house looks nice. Oh, we hardly got to it, you know. Why do you do that? You're Martha, right? Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. Verse 42. One thing is necessary. See, Jesus is saying just what David said. One thing is necessary. Martha has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away. Or Mary, I'm sorry, Mary has chosen. Mary got it right. He said, look, look, Martha, there's one thing that's got to be done in your life. There's one thing that's got to be accomplished. There's one thing that we can't neglect. There's only one thing. And Mary's getting it done. And you're not. Even though you're trying to get everything else done. All right? By the way, I'm going to ask you this probably several times. What's your one thing? What's your one thing? See, that's, that's harder than the, what's your priorities? Well, it's God, family, work, even though it looks nothing like that, you know? I think the better question is, what's your one thing? What is the one thing you're going to live your life for? Well, David says it's this. This is so strange. I mean, I just wouldn't expect this. He, he says, in the middle of, of fear and enemies and, and adversaries and attacks, David says in verse 4, the one thing I'm doing, look at the end of verse 4, I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. He says, I, I want to I dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Uh, he doesn't want to live in the temple. Nobody lived in the temple. He couldn't live in the temple. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying we want to live at church. If you want to live here, though, that's fine. If you want to bring in your cot, you can't bring your furniture, but if you want to sleep here, that's okay. But we've got duties for you, okay? We've got a long list, but that's fine if you want to live here. I don't think that's what David's saying. Though. I don't think that gets it. I think what he's saying, the temple was where? It's where the presence of God was, right? That's where the presence of God dwelt. What David is saying is, I, I want to be in the presence of God. And I want to gaze upon his you know what I would have expected there? If I got an army trying to kill me, I would say, I want to gaze upon his power. I want to gaze upon his might. I want to gaze upon his relentless wrath to the wicked. That, that's what I would want to look upon. David just shocks me here. He says, one thing, I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Beauty. That's interesting to me. Beauty is that which we delight in, that which we, we rejoice in, we, we satisfy our soul with, isn't it? Yes? Let me give you some examples. How about the beauty of a bride? Huh? How about the beauty of a bride? Man, I, I still remember when Emma came down the aisle. Um, I, I still, Emma's the one gal that I, I can stare at, you know, and it's all, it's good, and I should, you know? I was looking at her last night. She sat across from me at the table. I had my computer. I was working, and she, she had her computer, and I was, I was watching her. She's editing pictures, and when she's concentrating on something, her mouth does all kinds of funny things. So she's, like, working with it, you know? And I was just looking about how pretty she is, you know? And you, you know what that did? It, it kind of it filled me up a little, right? I remember uh, looking at our babies when they're born. or Little Colt. Anybody see little Colt today? He, uh, he had on a button down the front shirt and a little red bow tie. I mean, he came in, and they sat over here, and I was over there, and he saw me. He's like, Dad! You know, and he runs over and sits on me. He's got his little bow tie on. You, you, know, you know what? The, I rejoiced in that. Like, I delighted in that. Like, his cuteness kind of filled me up a little, you know? I, I remember being at the top of Zion Canyon or 
Continental Divide. Or I remember on the other side of uh, Rocky Mountain National Park, sitting for an hour watching the elk graze through our campground. And, and you, you, know what, you know what happens there? We're, we're, we're experiencing beauty, right? Being at the top of some mountain. I, I, it kind of goes the same way for me every time. I'll be at the top of some great mountain vista, and, and I'll find myself lingering and soaking it in, you know, and, and trying to remember every, every detail, etching it in my mind. You know why? Because it's, it's doing something in my soul. The, the beauty of it. In fact, I, I used to, I remember, I, I tried this several times. I, I had my quiet time one time on the edge of the Grand Canyon. And after I got done with the scriptures and praying and everything, I tried to sketch out in my journal kind of what I was seeing. I, I tried it one time up in Gunnison in a rock outcropping where I had my quiet time. We were having just personal devotions out by ourselves. And, and, but the problem is I'm such a bad artist that I can't ever tell what it was. You know, I go back later and I'm looking at it and I'm like, I don't know where I was sitting, you know. It's, it's a bunch of lines. But, but I... But I, I'm refreshed by it. But, but here's the thing. All of those beauties are shadows of the beauty of God. Okay, so, so listen. Those will never fill up your soul. Okay? The beauty of women. God, you know why God made women beautiful? Because they're created in the image of God. They're, they're, they're to image forth God. You know why God made the Grand Canyon stunning? Because I can, I can tell you that from Scripture. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. What, what, is, what are all those things saying? They're saying God, the creator, is awesome. All right? So those things are never meant to fill your soul. They can't ever do it. They're, 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 they're creation. They're meant to point you to the creator who can fill your soul. All right, so, so he, he, here's the thing. It's important. All those things are like people trying to fill the tanker truck of their soul with a thimble full of beauty. Do you see that? So, so people will, like when you, you got that colt, he's so cute this morning, you know? And so I, 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 I dip my thimble into his cuteness, you know? And, and, and I'm, 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 I'm being satisfied by, by the little precious boy and I, and I go pour that in my tanker truck, right? And, but listen, He'll never be able to fill up that truck. And not only that, but later today, when he's stripped down to his diaper, hanging off the chandelier, being rebellious, he's, all of a sudden, it's like, there's nothing in that thimble. He's dumping stuff out of there, you know? I mean, my soul is not refreshed. It's taxed. But, but I'll tell you this. There are grandparents who try to, most parents don't do this because reality hits in. But there's grandparents who try to fill up their soul with their grandkids. And they are never meant to do that. How about hunting season? Hunting season just ended, didn't it? You know? You got those guys that are up in their tree stand. And you see that big 8-point, 12-point, let's just go ahead and make it fishing, 25-point buck, you know, coming down the, the meadow. Let me tell you, that is beautiful. I mean, it is. Like there's something in your soul that leaps, okay? And you know what guys will do? I mean, they'll, they'll dip that thimble in. They're like, oh, that was so refreshing to my soul. After a work, a, a week of work that was just 
deadness. Man, when I get up there, that is so refreshing. And you know what they'll do? They'll go straight home. They'll get on Cabela's website, and they'll buy everything on there, everything, you know, even the camo underwear. Why would they need camo underwear? I don't know. The thing I can think of is you got to relieve yourself, and you don't want the deer to think that, you know, it's you that's doing it, you know, this is the tree. I don't know. But they'll buy everything, everything in the whole site. You know why? Because, right? guy like me it's it's the mountains it's mountain biking it's but but it's all a thimble trying to fill up a tanker truck full of beauty and it won't ever work now okay you got that now connect that with what fear does what does fear do fear threatens to empty your truck and to enable you not to fill with your thimble. That's what fear does, right? So, so let's, say it's, let's say it's cold. That I'm putting all my hope in to fill up my tanker truck of my soul. Oh, you know what? I'm going to be one anxious guy about whether he gets to stay with us. About whether he'll be okay. Man, there's people that are so bound up in their soul and anxiety over their family. You know why? Because that's what they're filling their truck with. It's not the beauty of the Lord, it's the beauty of their family. You see, maybe it's finances. Maybe it's your job. Oh man, here's the reality. Anxiety is one way to know what we're out of whack in and what we value. Let me tell you what Augustine said. Augustine said, anxiety is always a sign of the collapse of a false god. You want to know what your god is? You want to know what your, your idol is? What you're tempted to worship besides God? What are you worried about? I mean, it really is. You just trace it back. Trace it back. Just follow that line back and it will tell you what you're putting your hope in. Which is why David battles fear by relentlessly pursuing the beauty of the Lord. Okay? The one thing that can never be taken away. We'll talk more about that in a second. Notice verse 8. Verse 8, he says... He quotes God, actually. He said, you have said, God, you've said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Now, now first of all, why, why seek my face? Well, because face is, is personal interaction. You ever tried to talk to somebody's back? I mean, you can do it, but you're, you're not getting anything, right? You know, but, but the closer somebody is face-to-face with you, I thought about it, like having an illustration where I, I put people across the room and then I put them face-to-face. And, and, you know, and then, I, then we had a little interview about which did you learn more about the person, you know? I mean, when you're face-to-face, you're, you're getting too much, right? Like, it's, it's, too, it's too much. It's like, hey, you know, I know what you had for breakfast and supper last night, you know? I mean, it, it's too much. But that face is, is personal. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's this personal experience with God. Okay, see, David says, God, you've told me, you've told me, you've invited me to seek your face. Man, I can't tell you how exciting it is to my soul to know that there is an endless supply of joy and satisfaction and fulfillment and pleasure forever in God. And you know what he said? He's told me, come get it, Jason. Come get it. You see, but what I'm tempted to do 
is, is to try to fill up the tanker truck of my soul with, with all these other things, which inevitably just leads to disappointment. But by the way, here's a new way to handle disappointment in your life. You, you know how you handle disappointment in your life? You say, okay, whew, this is just a reminder that this is not my one thing. That's how you handle disappointment. I was, I was talking with my cousin over Thanksgiving. Poor guy, he's a senior in high school, and um, their football team went undefeated. They went into the playoffs. They had one more game to win before they go in for the state championship. They had six touchdowns called back by the referees, and they lost by six points. Six touchdowns called back. I tell you what, I asked, I asked his mother, my, my, she's my, my first cousin, I said, did you curse? You know, she never did answer. You know, she's a sweet Baptist lady, but I'm kind of thinking she did, you know. I mean, but you know, you know what disappointments teach us? They, they, we, they teach us that wasn't my one thing. That, that's how I try to handle that. I, I actually think I've had a couple times where I went to the mountains and it rained the whole time. I come back, I'm really, really disappointed, really. You know, I hate that. But I come back saying, you know what, Jason, that is a good reminder that that's not your one thing. That's not the thing that satisfies your soul. It's kind of good when the grandkids are real bad, isn't it? You know, and you got to send them home. You're like, okay, come get them, you know. You know, because it, it, it reminds you, it's not my one thing. That This is not it. David says, you have invited me to seek your face. What, what purpose does verse 10 serve? Have you ever asked yourself that? It like comes out of nowhere. Verse 10 says, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. I, I look back. Someone correct me. Someone may have a better... Maybe you've read the story of David more recently. Don't correct me as the sermon's going on. Wait till it's over, all right? But anyway, I'll, I'll mention you next week. But so, I cannot remember a time where David's mom and dad forsook him. I can't, I can't, you know, I, I was trying to work through that. After he leaves home and goes to, you know, be on his own, there's only really one time I can remember them being mentioned, which is when he hides them in a foreign country to protect them, okay? So I, I, I now it doesn't mean it didn't happen. I just can't remember that it did, okay? There's not, not anywhere in Scripture that I can recall. So here's what I think about verse 10. I think verse 10, David is saying this. He's saying, even the things in life that you think would be the absolute most dependable, don't put your hope in them. They'll let you down. Even my father and my mother have forsaken me. In the 830 service, my family is all sitting right here. And I went ahead and named the kids. And I said, guys, right here, do not put your hope in mom and dad. I mean, don't do it. I mean, we're going to try our best. We're going to try our best to always be there for you. We're going to try our best to help you out in life. But listen, we're not your savior. Don't, don't put your hope. We can't be your one thing that you depend on for your life to be okay. We're, we're not it. And you're not it for us. It, it, it can't be that way. So, what does David say? Let's, let's review. What's the answer to fear? What's the answer to anxiety? What's the answer to stress in your life? The answer is a relentless asking a relentless seeking a relentless carving out time to gaze upon the beauty of the lord god has invited you to do that okay he said come there, there there's there's beauty infinite enough to fill your soul a million times in the lord and so seek that seek that interaction with him pursue it all right now if we will make that our one thing here's the end result i'm jumping clear to the end of the psalm verse 13 I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. 
All right, now put this in context. Verse 3, an army encamped against me. Okay? I'm not going to fear. Why? Because I'm going to gaze on the Lord. And then he skips to verse 13. I believe I'm going to look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of living. What's he saying there? David's saying, hey, you know what? I believe what's going to happen to me is that I'm going to experience the goodness of God in the land of the living forever and ever. He jumps all the way there. I, I think there's actually a term for this, but what, I can't remember it, but, but what David's doing is he's looking past his trial to the victory that God's going to give him. If you're a born-again believer, every one of you should be able to do that. If you don't do that, if you get in the habit of looking at your trial, then your life's going to crash. I have a, uh, a, uh, a nemesis. I don't know what else to say it. But um, the guys built more trail out at, at a, the bike course. And uh, there's a troll. Well, we, call, we call it the troll bridge. I don't know what we call it that. But anyway, it, it's like this. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's about this wide. And, and, and it's a bridge that goes up into a cottonwood tree. And then it makes this right turn. Okay, so you go up in the tree and you make a right turn. The tree is right here beside you. You make a right turn and then you drive down the cottonwood. Okay, the, the stump of it. It's, it's, it's at an angle. Like, you know how trees will grow at an angle sometimes? So you drive down the trunk of this big tree. And nobody else seems to have any trouble with it. I have driven off of that tree from the top of it probably five times, okay? Now, now falling out of a tree at 44 years of age hurts. Falling out of a tree on your bicycle at 44 is worse, all right? That's, it's, worse, it's a worse deal, okay? And I'm coming straight out of there. And, and, and I cannot figure out, what, what am I, I think I finally have figured it out. What am I doing wrong? It's this. I, I, this happened Wednesday. I, I went and, and I, I bumped up against the side of the tree on my way up. Like it's kind of a, you know, a narrow turn there. And I bumped my shoulder and I pushed myself off. And I literally drove right off that stump, you know. I just drove right off, head down, you know, in the river, you know. And the river's down, so I, I went straight into the mud, you know, my helmet, it caked. I got a picture of it if you want to see it, you know. Um, but, right, and I was like, what are you doing? And, I, and as I was thinking about that on the rest of my ride, I was, I was reviewing just frame by frame. What did you do? Why did you do that, you know. Because it's not technically hard. And I realized what I'm doing is if, if I get jostled or something at the top, I look directly at that stump. Like I look straight down. Where should I look? Past it. You know, if you know anything about it, there's actually a term called for that. But you look past it. I, I should be looking at the bridge that goes across the creek. That's where I should be. That's where I'm going. See, that's where I'm, I'm not going. But when I look at the stump, you know, you look down at that. What do you, you don't focus on the stump part. You, your eye tends to go toward off the stump, right? Like that's where you're afraid you're going to go. I'll I drive right off that thing. I think there's times where your life has fallen apart and you've got stress and you've got fears and you've got anxiety. And you know what you do? You look right at it. Okay? You see what David's doing? From the beginning of the psalm, what's he doing? I'm not going to think about my trial. I'm going to think about the army. I'm going to gaze. You know what I'm going to relentlessly pursue? I'm going to relentlessly pursue gazing at the beauty of the Lord. And even more, verse 13, I'm going to look to the very end what I know God is going to do in my life. You know what's cool to me about verse 13? Let's read it again. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Basically, he believes two things. God's going to take him to the land of the living and he's going to spend forever looking in the goodness of the Lord. 
You know what's cool? David had no idea how God was going to pull that off. If you're a born-again believer here, and you have one of these dudes in your lap, you know how God's going to pull it off. You know so much that David did not know. What, what, what do you know that David didn't know? Well, you know that God would love us so much that he would send his own son from heaven to become permanently a man. Jesus is a man right now in the heavens. Have you ever thought about that? Like he took on human flesh for all eternity. He became a man and then he lived the perfect life that we haven't lived. He lived a life of sinless perfection, a life of always trusting the spirit of God, always depending upon the spirit of God. And then he lived a torturous, murderous death. He endured that for our sake to take our sin upon himself in order that if we would repent of our sins and put our faith in him, we might be tethered forever, joined forever to Jesus Christ so that our sin would be placed upon him, his righteousness placed in our account, and we would be joined to eternal life so that when he comes again and establishes a new heaven and a new earth, that we might go there and live forever in the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You see, David's here. What, what he's dreaming about is here. He has no idea how that's going to happen. But here, here's what he does know. God will do it. God will do it. He's like, I got an army trying to kill me, but you know what? Here's what I know. God's going to take me to the land of the living, and I'm going to live in the goodness of the Lord. Now, here's what's shameful to me. I know exactly how God's pulling that off because I got the rest of the book. I know exactly how God's going to do that, and I know I'm in it. And so why should I fear? See, here, here's, here's the beauty. I'm going to close with this. If your one thing is to gaze at the beauty of the Lord, nobody and nothing can take that from you. When people attack you, you know what that does? It drives you more to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. When life hands you disillusionment and discouragement, you know what that does? It drives you to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. When someone comes and slits your your throat and kills you, you know what that does? You just took a fast track to the beauty of the Lord. I mean, literally, like it can't be taken away. Like nothing and no one in all of this universe can ever take that away. Now, everything else in life, they can take away. But they can't take that away. And so I just want to ask you, and I think this is a big question. I think for some of you, you're going to you have to give this some thought and prayer. What is your one thing? Okay? As life is pressing in on you, and th- many times it, it's when that happens that we figure it out. That it really becomes apparent. So when your life gets hard, when you've got stress, when you've got anxiety, when you've got fear, when you've got all these things pressing in on you, what is your one thing? What's the one thing that you're going to to fill up the tanker trip of your soul? If that is not Jesus, then it's the wrong thing. Let's pray. Father, I ask you to give us clarity into our own souls. God, I pray that you'd give us just insight, God, to see clearly into What is our one thing? What's the one thing that we're living for? The one thing that we're pursuing? The one thing that we're hoping in? The one thing that we're we're giving our our one precious life to? And Father, I, I pray that if it's not you, God, that you would just make that clear today, that we would have a course correction in our own soul. God, that you'd bring repentance, that we would... We would now, as we sing, just confess that to you and reorder our lives so, God, that you are the pursuit of our life. Father, we ask that you'd help us with that. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name.